Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasno. Today, I am excited to bring you yet another wonderful lesson from the Commune Library. And that's a slightly biased assessment, given that today's episode is an excerpt from my program titled Stoic Meditations. So my initial introduction to Stoicism came at the hands of my long-suffering wife, Skylar, who often calls me Stoic due to my somewhat unflappable demeanor in response to cars full of screaming daughters or when unforeseen misfortune strikes. Last year, our house was quite literally struck by lightning, and the only superpower that was conferred by this bolt from the sky was apparently the ability to calmly extinguish the ensuing electrical fire and browse Zillow for a suitable replacement home. Now, the unemotional endurance of hardship, however, belies the true nature of Stoicism, which is a brilliant and dynamic philosophy of personal ethics founded in the 3rd century BC. Now, Stoicism is a system of logic and rationality applied to virtue. Stoicism lays out a path to eudaimonia, this Greek term for flourishing or well-being. Now, eudaimonia is achieved through living an ethical life, one in accordance with nature, and through practicing the cardinal virtues of wisdom, justice, courage, and moderation. Now, today's episode is an exploration of these four core Stoic virtues. So as you may know, in addition to being a podcast, Commune is also a video course platform featuring a wide range of programs from top teachers on personal growth, yoga, meditation, spirituality, functional medicine, nutrition, and social impact. Essentially everything that you need in your life to be holistically well. So to begin watching my course on Stoicism, you can go to onecommune.com slash stoic. There you can sign up for a free trial to Commune membership, which enables you to sample the entire Commune buffet of courses. And please support this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcatcher. It makes a huge difference. Okay, without further delay, I present to you, well, myself. The chief task in life is simply this, to identify and separate matters so that I can say clearly to myself which are externals not under my control and which have to do with the choices I actually control. Where then do I look for good and evil? Not to uncontrollable externals, but within myself to the choices that are my own. Epictetus. Now, as we have discussed numerous times in this program, a central tenet of Stoicism is the acknowledgement that we don't control the world around us. We can only control how we respond. And our response to the course of human events should be guided by four primary virtues. 
wisdom, justice, courage, and moderation. This session is an introductory exploration of these core Stoic virtues. Now, the contemplation of wisdom, justice, courage, and moderation could be a full course in and of itself. Defining and embodying the qualities of these virtues are the work of a lifetime. But we can use this opportunity right here to begin to build a deeper understanding of virtue. But before we dive into each one specifically, it is important to point out that these core virtues are extremely intertwined with each other. For example, you can be courageous, but if your bravery is only wielded for self-serving needs or desires at the expense of others, what good is it? In order to be virtuous, courage needs to be paired with justice. Let's start with the virtue of moderation. Now, temperance and self-control are echoed across many religions and philosophical schools of thought. These qualities can often be understood as sobriety or abstinence from the pleasures of the flesh. The ascetics felt that the sublimation of earthbound lustful pleasures led to a more spiritually enlightened life. Now, personally, I see moderation as a bringing together of opposites. Now, this understanding is more concomitant with the Buddhist notion of the middle way or with Taoism that considers the universe as an organism emerging out of opposites, symbolized by the image of the yin-yang. The universal logos, the foundational fundamental intelligence of the cosmos can be seen as an evolutionary process of moderation. Nature seeks coherence out of this coincidence of opposites that innately occur. The feminine and the masculine collaborate to create life. Positive and negative charges dance in repulsion and attraction to create electricity. Atoms, a fundamental structure of the universe, are balanced by positively charged protons and negatively charged electrons. Photosynthetic life, or plants, create oxygen and glucose out of carbon dioxide and water, and non-photosynthetic life, you and me, use oxygen and break down glucose to create carbon dioxide and water. And you can find this elan towards coherence throughout natural systems. So I think of a personal moderation practice in a very similar light. The Stoics were keen on acting in accordance with nature. So I try to mimic nature's ability to bring binary opposition into coherence. So here are four basic principles of moderation. One, the ability to avoid excesses and extremes. Two, the ability to remain centered and balanced. Three, the ability to foster cohesion and cooperation. And four, the ability to find a middle path between hedonic desire and asceticism. Now you can apply these principles to consumption habits relating to food or alcohol or sugar or social media or consumerism. 
You can also overlay these principles on top of opinion. For example, you can rigorously examine your own opinions and identify areas where they have perhaps imperceptibly become more extreme. It's not that strong feelings are not at times justified, but are the source of those passions anchored in the true nature of an event, or are they outgrowths of your judgment or bias? In this time of extreme political rancor and binary opposition, where can you foster common ground? Where is there shared humanity to be found? Now, humanity's greatest projects have been predicated on our unique special ability to cooperate flexibly at scale. Now, when we have the courage to compromise, we unify moderation with justice. The merger of these three virtues begets wisdom. Let's move on and talk about courage. A courage is often stereotypically personified on the battlefield. The brave warrior throws caution to the wind and runs heedlessly into the enemy line. There is a kernel of truth to this patriarchal version of valor. Courage certainly reflects the ability to confront and overcome fear. Courage also exhibits one's inclination to risk one's own well-being for a greater good. However, this battlefield depiction of bravery does not consider the underlying nuance and substrate of the quality of courage. Now, any display of courage necessitates a willingness to be vulnerable. Courage as vulnerability can be seen in any situation where a person puts themselves in a position where they could be hurt, suffer personal loss, or be publicly shamed. Now, certainly this is the case for a soldier, but it is also true for someone walking into an AA meeting or coming out as gay or confronting a deep-seated phobia or making a risky career move. The definition of vulnerability is the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed either physically or emotionally. In this way, vulnerability is basically synonymous with courage. And this notion denudes courage from a false association with heroic masculinity. A courage also involves nonconformity the ability to act rightly in the face of popular opposition requires profound mettle. Oftentimes, we are afraid to stand up for something that we believe just because we worry that we will be judged negatively for our opinion. Now, courage eschews the fear of judgment. You take a stand irrespective of what others think. And in this way, Courage is a repudiation of the ego, which often tells you that you are what other people think of you. Lastly, courage is often misconstrued as wild and irresponsible. This is where courage meets moderation and good discernment. Courage faces fear in a manner that is neither cowardly or reckless. Courage understands fear not as a 
transitory emotion that temporarily hijacks your amygdala, but is something that should be revered. Acts of courage involve a rational assessment of risk, often in a split second. In this way, courage requires tremendous presence of mind and awareness in the present moment. The only reason to display courage is to achieve a just and worthy goal. If there's no reasonable chance for success, brave acts are no longer courageous. They are simply reckless. So in summary, here are some core tenets of courage. One, a willingness to be vulnerable. Two, a willingness to risk one's own well-being for a greater good. Three, a willingness to act rightly in the face of popular opposition. And four, the ability to confront and understand fear and act in a manner that is neither cowardly or reckless. Okay, let's talk about justice. In his meditations, Marcus Aurelius referred to justice as thoughts and acts resulting in the common good. He also posited that justice was the source of all other virtues. What good is wisdom if it is not justly administered? What use is courage if it only serves one's self-interest? Justice is a highly social concept. As a matter of personal ethics, justice is where your thoughts and actions interface with the rest of the world. Now, justice can also refer to acts of the state, and it can also be conflated with a superficial understanding of karma that proffers that people get what they deserve. And the philosopher John Locke argued that justice is derived from natural law, values intrinsic to human nature. The social contract theorists argue that justice emerges from agreement between people as to how to properly run a society. And Jeremy Bentham and John Stuart Mill and the utilitarians posit that justice is served when it benefits the most possible people. There are economic theories of distributive justice, how the surplus of society should be divvied up across a population, and there is retributive justice that outlines appropriate punishment for those who have violated the rights of others. And lastly, there is also restorative justice, which is focused on the restoration of well-being for those who have been caused harm. Now, there is a consilience that emerges behind all of these iterations of justice. The unifying theme is that the world should be governed by fairness, a commitment to impartiality and lack of favoritism. Now, Plato would argue that there is an ideal form of justice. By the time it reaches our messy human condition here on Earth, this perfect perennial justice gets refracted and bent and perverted. It is then the work of philosophers and thinkers to distill its true meaning, to not see justice's shadow, but to look toward the light and behold its true form. But then, of course, we must reify it. We must take it out of the air and give it eyes and ears and arms and legs. And Martin Luther King famously uttered, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. 
We inch along this moral arc in hopes of aligning our human condition here on Earth with our highest cosmic principles. It is hardly a straight line, and it requires tremendous courage. America's Declaration of Independence enshrined these famous words on a parchment. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Despite this noble expression of justice, we are grimly aware of the hypocrisy embedded in these words. A hundred years would elapse after the scrawling of this verse before slavery was abolished, and it would be a century and a half until women won suffrage in the United States. The instantiation of justice requires courage, principled battles waged by brave and engaged citizens in an effort to unite daily life with universal values. So when you are looking through the Stoic lens, you are always seeking to better the world and yourself in ways that you can control. So ask yourself, how do my thoughts and actions promote justice as a friend, as a parent, as a citizen, or as a member of an organization? Now here are some basic protein guidelines for justice that can be applied across myriad situations. One, a commitment to fairness, impartiality, and non-favoritism. Two, the equal distribution of opportunity. And three, a social contract that administers both fair retribution to those who have caused harm and restoration to the victims of harm. Now, I confront justice every day as a parent. And when my daughters were young and less able to process emotions and verbalize, they would get into heroic scraps. Lolly would steal cheese from Micah. Cheese was Micah's beloved, somewhat bedraggled, stuffed mouse. And Micah would turn scarlet, scream her head off, and she would escalate the matter by violently hurling these magnetiles at her sister. Of course, one action always begets an equal opposite reaction, and someone would inevitably get hurt and come running to mom or dad. And when you think about it, how different is that situation really from our global political quarrels? Well, it is this kind of situation where we can all practice justice each and every day. Like in my example, I would need to manage the situation with impartiality and play no favorites between my daughters. I would need to treat each daughter equally, consider an appropriate punishment, and address any harm caused. Justice, like the other three cardinal virtues, cannot really exist on its own. Justice requires good judgment that is born from wisdom. It requires centeredness that is derived from moderation and it requires courage to enact. Okay, let's talk about wisdom. Wisdom is often associated with age. It conjures the image of the village elder, the wise old grandmother healer with a cupboard full of herbs and tinctures. Lao Tzu, the founder of Taoism and the author of the Tao Te Ching, is often portrayed as a wizened sage with a long white beard. There's even a fable that contends that he was born old and with his beard. The suggestion here is that wisdom must be accrued through a lifetime of experience. 
Now this brings up an important distinction between wisdom and knowledge. Now certainly wisdom and knowledge are not mutually exclusive, and there's plenty of reason to strive for both. But we've all met people who are wise but did not get a PhD from Harvard, and definitely the opposite is true. There are people who are knowledgeable but lack wisdom. And the French Renaissance philosopher Michel de Montaigne said, We can be knowledgeable with other men's knowledge, but we cannot be wise with other men's wisdom. Essentially, you can read books, study lessons, and take online courses to gain knowledge. But wisdom is not about throwing more grocery items into the intellectual cart. It's not an accumulation of facts and figures. Knowledge is understanding all of the component parts of something. Wisdom is grokking the simple essence and utility of it. There's an oft-quoted aphorism, knowledge is understanding how to make a bomb, wisdom is understanding not to use it. In this sense, wisdom is really more of a moral quality. In many ways, it's not about what you know, it's about fostering good judgment and discernment. Wisdom is also about cultivating an awareness of what you don't know. For example, the greatest, wisest leaders tend to surround themselves with people who have capacities and talents in the area that he or she does not. The sage recognizes where he or she is deficient. In this way, wisdom is very connected to humility. Take, for example, the person who fails. The wise and humble person understands that Failure begets experience, and experience begets wisdom. However, this requires an admittance of mistake and a willingness to adapt. The proud person will not recognize the failure and will attempt the same thing again and again. It is said that the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. More concisely, you might say that this is the definition of hubris. Pride often stands in the way of wisdom. So here are four basic tenets of wisdom. One, the quality of having good, unbiased judgment. Two, an ability to contemplate and act morally, leveraging knowledge, experience, and understanding. Three, a possession of self-awareness and insight into the nature of the mind. And four, the humility to acknowledge one's own deficiencies and learn from failure. Now, wisdom can be understood as the sum of Stoicism's other core virtues, moderation, courage, and justice. Wisdom uses a balance of cunning and humility to bring opposing sides into moderation. Wisdom employs judgment in determining the proper moment for courage. Wisdom leverages discernment to find what is just and what is fair. Now, wisdom has no terminus. We can experience moments of epiphany where the nature of existence suddenly seems to make sense, but wisdom burns like a fire in the black of night. The more it rages, the more darkness is revealed. Socrates wrote, true wisdom comes to each of us when we realize how little we understand about life. 
ourselves and the world around us. The pursuit of wisdom rewards the curious. Thank you for listening to this excerpt from my commune course titled Stoic Meditations. To begin watching this course for free, go to onecommune.com stoic and sign up for a free commune trial. Of course, feel free to email me with any suggestions or criticism, preferably of the constructive variety, at jeffk at onecommune.com. Okay, that's all from the commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you.